Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. Today, I have with me all the way from England, formerly Jane Butler, who is a retired registered nurse now located in California and developed an interest in helping women with the ravages of menopause. She referred to going a little meno crazy herself and discovered some techniques and some holistic health methods to help women in that phase of their life. Many nurses are women. Many nurses and men who love women going through menopause see the struggles. And I wanted her to come onto the show today to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can cope with what for many of us is a quite unexpected phase of our life in terms of dealing with the symptoms as somebody referred to at one time, she had her own personal furnace inside her when she got her hot flashes. I know, Jane, that you focused on some of the symptoms of menopause, and there's one in particular, which is sleep, that can be quite disrupted. So let's start there in terms of what happens in the menopause process and how does that affect the sleep patterns that we have. Well, hi, Pat. First of all, thank you very much for um, asking me along today. This, this is great. I think this is a key feature that I'm so passionate about that I really want people to know about because despite us moving on and living in a time that we um, speak openly about things, I still believe menopause is um, a little bit of a taboo subject because I my experience is that people feel they are getting old when they talk about menopause. Um, but it's a natural progression for all of us, as was puberty as, as we all grew up. Um, so I think it's great uh, that, that we pursue this a bit further and, and go into depth. So for me, I think when we hit menopause, so many things happen. And for some people, they're, they're very fortunate. They just drift through it and look at other people and say, What's the issue? What's your big problem? And like you say, you've heard it before. Somebody will say, I feel like I've got a furnace going on inside. Other people are saying, like, I've been taken over by aliens. There's so many weird and wonderful <laughs> things that happen at this age that it's really good for us to talk and share. So for me, myself, uh, when I think about menopause and sleep, sleep is a huge foundation of us for good health. And if we can't get our sleep right, then that has a knock-on effect. And unfortunately, with menopause, it's a little bit like the chicken and egg. It's does the sleep issue come before menopause and causes the problems, or is it the other way around? Well, I often think it's a little bit of both. And I'll tell you for why. Um, I think that the experience I've had with women and myself and again, my experience as a registered nurse, um, we don't pay enough attention to sleep because it's something we all feel we just do routinely. We close our eyes and go to sleep. Well, it just happens. But actually, it's way more complex than that and has so many restorative, restorative concepts to it that if we don't get enough sleep, then we start to suffer. Um, so how, how, how do we get enough sleep in, in this sort of time of our lives? Well, 
there's so many things that we can talk about and we'll, we'll go on to discuss those. But the key importance for me is if we could look at something like sleep, particularly in our menopausal years, I think it's really going to help with some of the symptoms that these lovely ladies suffer from. Yes. Well, let's dive in. Tell us, how does menopause disrupt sleep? Ah, good point. Uh, well, first of all, let me just sort of mention that there are many different ways that people have sleep disturbances. Um, for many ladies, they'll be thinking, oh, I go to bed at night time and I toss and I turn and I just can't go off to sleep. And that's really what we refer to as like a sleep onset insomnia. Um, and what, what's behind that is really the issues that relate to falling asleep, such as our stress, our worries, the relationships, that's that busy mind that goes on for us. So, you know, quite often when everything's turned off at the end of the day and we lay there in the darkness and the quiet, this little mind starts going, dup, 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 and we replay everything. And then we start to have so much activity that we just don't drop off to sleep. Alternatively, we could get something called um, sleep maintenance insomnia. So if you're lucky enough to fall asleep when your head hits the pillow, great. Then you wake up partway through the night and suddenly again, you can't get back off to sleep. That's often in relation to um, uh, things like having stimulants such as caffeine, um, your blood sugar is not uh, um, stabilized we have toxic levels building up and we increase our cortisol levels so again that's something that is uh, waking us up through the night and therefore we've had enough sleep just to sort of tide us over and then we start laying then watching the clock then we can fall into some other areas like sleep apnea and again just because I've, I've got a nursing background I'm not here to diagnose anyone or specifically treat them, I'm there to support them along the way and often work with my ladies alongside their uh, family doctors to help with this. So sleep apnea is generally when you get inadequate uh, oxygen demand. And so you've fallen asleep, you haven't got that um, oxygen level that you need, generally because of some sort of obstruction. Um, and then you find you just wake up gasping for air. So it constantly wakes you. Often you can wake without, it sounds daft, but you can wake without really realizing you're awake. So you can get poor quality sleep um, and think maybe you've slept the night through, but can't figure out why you're so tired in the morning. And then you can have a mild, moderate or severe version of that. And that's something you really should be working with your uh, medical team for. We can also get an upper um, airway syndrome, which is more the soft palate at, at the top of the uh, nose and mouth that tends to um, occlude. And again, same sort of thing, there's some obstruction going on, on there. And then there's mouth breathing. So I often smile at this one because I'm not quite sure who gets the problem with being disturbed at night. Is it the person that's laying next to you that hears your snoring because of the mouth breathing? Or is it you yourself? Because often with mouth breathing, people end up snoring. Um, and it's that loud grunt that tends to wake them up. And that can happen many times through the evening. So there's a lot of reason why um, these things happen. But, you know, if you look at some of the evidence, the World Health Organization say that, you know, in our developed world, there's generally two thirds of people that are not getting enough sleep. So when you hit menopause, you could have any of those issues that are happening. One of the key things um, that I often hear ladies talk about and I have to say I was a, a member of the 3am club too for some <laughs> reason we were always waking up at 3am I, I don't know if 
you've had that yourself at all, but it seemed to be two, three, four o'clock time, bang, you were wide awake and it's like, oh, no, why is this? And generally, again, that's because of toxin levels have built up, your blood sugar has, has gone off, and it's your body really trying to stay awake. So it, it, it has a chemical reaction that occurs whereby it's trying to in, increase the glucose level to ensure that your brain is, is being um, sufficiently looked after. And then you wake up because of those levels of activity and because of the levels of chemicals that are in your, uh, in your body. Again, the traditional hot flash or hot flush, as they call them in, in the UK, that, again, can often be sparked because of toxins. So we've got a myriad of things that's going on here for, for our lovely ladies in menopause, which is very frustrating. And I can say from personal experience, you can have more than one kind. Of oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, and really, that's why... That's why I think it's in, I find it very interesting anyway, working with these ladies is to figure out what the um, the underlying issue is, because otherwise we're just treating things like a sticking plaster. It's about getting to the root issue as to what is actually happening. How can we get underneath it and figure out the specifics for you as an individual and how many of these things are happening and cross over with each other? Um wouldn't it be lovely if we just had the one thing be easy to sort but generally you're right it, it's often things tend to happen um in conjunction with other stuff so it's great to work with them to figure those things out and that's why i think it's important for anybody that's having these issues is go chat with their family doctor find somebody to support them and start working on the root cause I know there are things that are not effective or maybe not solutions in the long run. Can you comment on some of those that we might think are going to work, but actually are not going to help the problem? For sure. Um, I think one of the, the key things is that everybody thinks sleeping tablets can be the answer. Um, maybe short term for certain events, uh, particularly I, I refer to if you've had any traumatic events that you need a, a short term help to get over. And again, that is in conjunction with your medical team. But unfortunately, they don't give you the same quality or restorative sleep um, that you would benefit from. So long term, they really aren't supportive. And often people will complain that they feel very groggy getting up in the mornings. Um, so it's not really the best option. People will often refer um, to taking melatonin tablets as well. And again, I think sometimes people get a, a relief, particularly if they're um, travellers, uh, I say time travellers, I'm talking about people that are flying across <laughs> continents because that way they are that they are experienced jet lag and that interferes with our circadian rhythm. And what melatonin does is help to bring about the chemical messenger within our body that it's nighttime and it's time to get ready for sleep so melatonin tablets don't actually put you to sleep they create the right environment for the other processes to um, come into play to help you drift off to sleep so again short-term answers for specific problems another thing that people refer to um, often is the nightcap the alcohol um, and I touched on that already. That's a stimulant. So I can already hear people saying, yes, but it knocks me out. It's great. 
it might knock you out initially because it will relax you and settle you. But I bet you, for the majority of you, you wake through the night, as we said, it's that sleep maintenance. You wake up and you're like, well, I've had enough sleep. I can't settle. And that's, again, because it's a stimulant. And at that point, it has woken you up. So they're best avoided where possible. They're the key things that I would really, um, when I work with my ladies, is we dig into what are people doing? What are their coping mechanisms? And often for a short term, great, you know, they're very supportive, but we just need to make sure that they're not a long term um, use because often they have that effect of um, not working. So we start off with the right reason and then eventually they start to be the problem. So when I work with my ladies, we do a lot of um, digging and understanding about what they've done in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and maybe the reasons that they've done them in the first place. We all take often actions that we know might not be in our best interest but have supported us for a short period of time Mm -hmm. before we continue with the show i'd like to share this special announcement with you what makes you unique as an lnc in this video you'll get a framework for answering that question i'm a practical person and i don't appreciate reading a self-help book that doesn't include practical suggestions. That's why you'll find my book, How to Heat a Fiery Brand for Your LNC Business, Tips to Be Noticeable. It's a guide. It's not a collection of appealing but vague suggestions. Today I'm going to give you a glimpse at some of my practical recommendations. When you want to determine what makes you unique, start with your outstanding personal qualities. I'm a good listener. I'm patient. I like to solve problems. I enjoy finding a way to establish clear communication. Don't stop with what you think about yourself. Ask your closest friends. When you think of me, what words come to mind? Look at your professional history with a new perspective. I know you have a resume or curriculum vitae. If you look at it with objective eyes, what can you say that you learned from each of your jobs? For example, you might say my specialization in gerontology gave me unique insights into the particular needs of seniors, whether they live in assisted living, nursing homes, in their children's homes, or alone. This experience also taught me to identify the many situations that can cause avoidable injuries, medication errors, neglect that endangers patients, and other critical factors. I have a special passion for ensuring that seniors can live in safety and comfort and for redressing situations where institutions or caretakers fail them. And that means I'm passionate about providing justice and a good quality of life for seniors. Through this line of reasoning, you ended up with a clearly defined brand that separates you from other LNCs. It could cost you thousands of dollars to have a brand specialist hand you this conclusion. Buy my book, How to Heat a Fiery Brand for Your LNC Business, Tips to Be Noticeable, for affordable assistance in designing a brand that is uniquely yours. Order it at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. 
Now let's return to the show. Well, I can tell you that the gerontologist who I see at Johns Hopkins is not thrilled with my Ambien prescription that I got from another physician and talks about the risks associated with the drug, primarily with falling because of being groggy in the morning after taking it. It sometimes leaves me with a headache in the morning and that can even last all day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I, I touched on that. I think, you know, for a short period of time, for whatever event that we might need, it's possibly a a great thing. But as you've experienced, you know, if you're waking the next morning, you're feeling groggy, um, you you really don't have that focus, then it's not a good thing because, you know, there's plenty of evidence out there of people that drive in the morning after taking those um, sort of medications and have accidents. What we're looking for is to get really restorative sleep. So you wake up full of energy, you're rested and you're ready to take the day on. And we can get to that. I I know I've seen it myself and I've seen it with, with a lot of my clients. We can definitely get to that if we make some changes. I think about two people who told me their stories. One was um, a male nurse who woke up in the middle of the night in his backyard in his underwear, digging in the dirt after taking Ambien. Yeah. And uh, a person who got in a car and drove 100 miles in California in the middle of the night after taking Ambien and kind of came to and said, where am I? And what am I doing in this car behind this wheel? Oh, wow. That would make an impression on you. So frightening. And there's there's so many of those stories out there. So I think if we if we can get to the root cause and we can treat things naturally, then that, that's not going to be an issue for people. So I yeah, I get very worried about those type of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, we, we all go through ups and downs. So there's no blame to anybody for this. I just think we all do the best we can at the time. Um and it's about figuring out is that best going to support me ongoing or can I make some often for some people, small changes for other people could be a little bit more, but can I make those changes that are going to support me through life? Um, We, you know, I'm sure people get fed up with, Oh, it's like life changing and, you know, diets and so on and so forth. But it's really interesting. I like to um, go back in time a little bit that people of our age, ladies that are going through menopause at the moment I'd really invite you to think back to when we were at school and consider how many other kids in school and maybe in your class were obese how many of them had problems like asthma or eczema um, or, or skin problems and I bet if you think back when we were younger like that it was very very few kids to be fair now it seems to be the norm and we seem to accept it as the norm and actually that doesn't need to be the case I truly truly believe it's about what we eat and we drink the environment that we're in that starts then to set those genes off into a spiral of causing us problems so I know a lot of people get get very frustrated with, oh, it seems to be the answer to everything. But I seriously believe we can take a look at the things that we eat, the things that we drink, our mindset, our activity, and that will all play a part on 
who we are and how we experience our health. And I believe the same goes through to menopause as well, because for those ladies that go through menopause, great, no symptoms, they feel fine. That's generally how most of us could be. And when I start working with my ladies and figure out with them what their lifestyle is about, we often see that there's things that we can play around with quite simply that make a huge difference for them. Mm-hmm. Well, so I know I, that you focused on the link between menopause and obesity and sleep problems. And I've been focusing on this and, and reading a lot recently about the the harmful chemicals and processed foods and the way that we've gotten away from a healthier way of eating mm-hmm. with more dependence on fast food. Um, my husband and I just spent in the last month, we went to see three of his doctors, one of my doctors, three trips to Baltimore from our house in New Jersey in 10 days, spent a lot of time on the road. And one of his doctors nurse practitioners took him through, now, what do you eat for breakfast? What do you eat for lunch? What do you eat for dinner? Do you eat any fried foods? Do you need, do you eat any fast foods? Do you eat any processed foods? And we came up with pretty good scores on all of those areas, you know, not only for issues related to, to diabetes, but also I think you're focusing us in on what are you putting in your mouth or what do you what chemicals or what caffeine are you ingesting towards the end of the evening mm-hmm. like that chocolate dessert may not be the best choice if you plan to sleep that night well exactly i mean there's a lot of ladies when i talk to them about chocolate and having caffeine in chocolate and they are totally shocked without realizing that chocolate can have caffeine in it mm-hmm. so and it's interesting because they often think well i'm not having the alcohol i'm going to have a hot chocolate before I go to bed you know that's that warm drink etc so first off generally there's there's dairy in there that doesn't help um and that's a whole nother story because of about your choice with with dairy um often full of um antibiotics that the animal has has taken themselves it gets passed to us hormones to you know promote growth for them and milk production that we then ingest so we often find that our hormones are being disrupted be purely because of what we've ingested so some of my ladies are quite shocked when they realize that they're actually taking in hormones that they hadn't realized because of the food they eat so again it is really I feel going back to basics and for a lot of us and me too to be fair you know my story is very much as you mentioned I'm a I was registered nurse in the UK for for many years and cardiology was my speciality and you know I sort of hate to admit this really but I didn't really recognize that I was going through menopause at the time I put it down to being busy um, I, w- I was busy at work. I was having, you know, working, raising the family. Um, I was busy studying, etc. And we take these things as being normal and we ex- expect to feel these ways. Well, actually, this is our body giving us signs to say, stop, you know, things aren't right. I'm trying to tell you to do something different. But like everybody, I think I just took it as, well, 
this is what's to be expected, just plough through. And I would stay up late to get stuff done because I would take projects home and I was studying for exams. And sleep was the thing that I was negotiating as if that doesn't matter, I can get a few hours, I can get things crammed, get up in the morning, go back again. And all I was doing was creating an internal mess. So it's a little bit like when you say that internal furnace, I truly believe it's that it is a furnace going, stop. And um, we just get to recognize the signs that our body's giving us. And I think over the years, we have forgotten to do that. We've become blindsided to the things that our bodies are telling us. When they're telling us it's we're tired, it's time to sleep. When we feel we've got that bloating, maybe we shouldn't be eating what we've ate. What did we actually eat? Was it real food or was it something that we've been tricked into to think it's food because it tastes good? How much did we actually eat? Did we eat just enough to um, fill us or did we keep going because something that's been put into the food has made us keep going because it's yummy? That There's so many things to unpick with people. Um, it's straightforward enough. But then we start to put in, okay, so the emotional concept that goes with it. We, we've all heard of emotional eating and it goes beyond that, oh, I'm upset or angry or, or depressed and I, I will just eat or I'm so happy, I'm just going to have a good drink, etc. It goes beyond that. Um, so there's a lot of unpicking to do. Um, I, and I love working with people when you suddenly see that they get that aha moment and go, gosh, I do remember feeling like that. Is that, that's why? And then when we make some of these changes and they notice that things disappear and they feel better, they have more energy. And particularly with menopause, the hot flushes start to subside over. They lose that brain fog. They start to feel the clarity, have the energy. Relationships get better. It's amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long did it take for you to recognize the problem and work your way to uh, an area where you felt healthier and more energetic? That's an interesting question because, as I said, I think I was busy, like everybody else, going through all the sort of steps in life, work, family, education. And then it wasn't really until I stopped and moved to the U.S. um, that I decided not to nurse out here and I put I actually I, I think as I mentioned to you I felt I went menno crazy because I got very upset um I couldn't figure out why I was so I had these mood swings etc and it became distressing for me to realize I was like this but it was also hard for my family to watch me as well um and I think I just got so low with it. I, I I guess there was some depression going on, but I didn't recognize that. But it coincided with the time that I decided to look into health coaching rather than nurse here. And so while I um, went to school for health coaching, I decided to, you know, use myself as the guinea pig. So all I was learning, I was applying to myself. So it was the, the change in the food, um, the change in, in generally lifestyle issues, which made me feel so guilty because I felt that I was saying that to my patients years ago as a nurse, but was I actually doing it? Um, 
And then when I, I was doing it, I started to reap the benefits. As I said to you, I, I started to feel better. And some things were clearer and quicker. Um, other things took longer. And again, I won't lie, you know, we often find ourselves falling back into old habits. So it's about breaking habits that we have, the, the non-supportive habits, and creating better habits that contribute to a supportive environment for our health so some things were quick wins for me um, other things took a little bit longer and it was the fact of having some accountability one through my family but also I got myself a coach at the same time really to focus me in on things and remind me that just because things didn't necessarily work one day didn't mean it was an all or nothing and well it doesn't work it was like okay the next meal do something different the next exercise session do something different um so uh, as I said there were some very quick wins there was some that took a little bit longer and some that still take an intentional um concept around them because particularly when you travel you might not have the the chosen foods that you want so it's about making some different choices and I never think that there's a, a good or a bad food. There's something that's either okay or something that's better. And it's about making a, a, a conscious decision all of the time. What can I do that's best for me at the moment? And if it's not totally in my best interest, that's fine. The next one can be. Well, Jane, you shared so many great tips that I know our listeners can apply, and some are going to want to know how to connect with you to find out more about you and the services that you offer. You mentioned that you're a health coach. What would be the best way for our listener to be able to connect with you? Uh, they can take a look at my website, uh, which is um, individuallyyoucoaching.com. And I called it that because I think everybody is individual. What works for one person doesn't always work for somebody else. Um, they can also connect with me at um, jane at individuallyyoucoaching.com and I will get back to them then. All right. And just to clarify, is it individual you coaching Indi or individually? Individually. You? And I'll make sure you have that link. Okay. Individually. Yes. Coaching.com. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Jane, thank you for sharing your wisdom, opening your up to yourself up to discussing some of the challenges that you had in a, a phase of life that affects everyone to some degree or another. And also discussing a problem that affects you, whether you're in your menopause years or not. And that relates to healthy sleep calming your mind down enough to be able to go to sleep. I had that sleep-induced sleeping disorder when you're trying to sleep onset, when you're trying to calm everything down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I practice my breathing. Sometimes I've started with my toes and concentrated on the sensations in my toes and work my way up my body. And then waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep, which is really pretty annoying if it's two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock when you don't want to be up the rest of the night. Totally, I understand. Yes. And then for us as legal nurse consultants, we've seen many cases of people who have obstructive airway disorders 
and that causes sleep problems, but that can have medical consequences in surgery. If the anesthesiologist doesn't manage that airway properly, uh, as well as it's a risk with the opiates that people get before, during, and after surgery. Mm -hmm. So we see that piece as a challenge. So we can apply this information in several different ways. Totally, totally. And just coming back to you saying around waking in the middle of the night, um, two two things that I found that really help ladies during that is if if your mind is racing at that point, um, don't lay there and watch the clock. You know, give give it maybe 10, 15 minutes, get up, maybe make a a chamomile tea or something, read a chapter in a book and, and go back to bed. Or you can do something um, with your breathing. There's there's a ton of different breathing exercises, but something that's worked for people, and I know it's worked for me as well when you lay there, is get focused on your breathing. Inhale for, say, four seconds, a count of four, and then exhale for a count of eight. What you're doing is activating your parasympathetic um, system, which is your rest and relax system. So that helps you to drift back, uh, drift back off to sleep too. All right. Great tip. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Jane, for being a part of this interview. And I appreciate you who's watching this podcast on Legal Nurse Business YouTube channel or watching it on our podcast.legalnursebusiness.com, part of our website. You will find all of our past podcast shows on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com as well as the ones at least three, four years worth on our YouTube channel. This is now our seventh year of Legal Nurse Podcast. And I appreciate you as one of our viewers, one of our listeners, who has been getting a great deal of satisfaction and tips and knowledge from Legal Nurse Podcast. Be sure to come back next week, or if you're binge watching, click on down below. There's another show waiting for you. Thanks so much. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. My name is Pat Iyer, and coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to hear firsthand from Becca Swan, a legal nurse consultant who spent some time in the LNC field before returning to the critical care environment at the at the height of the COVID pandemic. Becca, what were some of the topics that we covered in your podcast? Uh, we covered my initial LNC experiences and my first role. Um, and then we also went into the critical care field that I returned to in 2020 and how that was different um, pre and post COVID. Um, we spoke about challenges associated with COVID in the ICU setting and a large topic that we're all interested in is the sources of liability in the ICU during COVID. You'll want to be sure to hear Becca's podcast, which you can do on audio channels and also watch it on our YouTube channel, which is Legal Nurse Business. You'll get a perspective. If nothing else, I promise you, you may be grateful that you didn't have to stand in Becca's shoes and handle the challenges that all critical care nurses as a baseline face working in that environment and then layer on 
another whole set of new issues associated with caring for COVID patients with scarce resources and what that's like. Be sure to check out Becca Swan's podcast and leave us a comment if you're watching this on our YouTube channel after you look at Becca's podcast. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. Thanks so much.